As I said, this weekend, Africa's most populous nation and, as well, the largest oil producer will head to the ballot box to elect a new president as the incumbent, uh, President Buhari, reaches the end of his second term. Now, the Nigerian election comes against a backdrop of unrest and insecurity, very high inflation, high unemployment, conflict over land and an ongoing surge in student kidnapping. Does a new election offer some hope? Well, young Nigerians are rallying around a candidate who is promising change. It's said of Nigeria that it's something of a bellwether for the state of democracy in Africa. In fact, Foreign Policy magazine considers Nigeria's election to be the most important election in the world this year. Let me now introduce you to Aisha Osori, a Nigerian lawyer and journalist currently in London. She's the author of a book with a beautiful title, Love Does Not Win Elections, about what she learned from her own tilt at Nigerian politics back in 2014. Welcome to the program. Tell me about the current president. How do Nigerians rate his term in office? Hi, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, thanks for inviting me to talk about Nigeria's elections. And I hadn't heard that it was the most important elections in the world this year, but I'm happy to hear that that's the way Nigerians feel. Um, I think it's fair to say that most Nigerians, and there was a poll early last year that said that only one in 10 Nigerians were happy with the current state of affairs under President Buhari. Um, that showed that 78% of citizens were very unhappy with the country's state of affairs and half of them were extremely sad. And then 14% were indifferent, which speaks to the very high rate of people leaving the country in droves over the last three years. So if we take what we heard about the, how Nigerians felt about Buhari in January last year and see what has happened over the last 12, 13 months, including most recently with a disastrous Naira redesign policy, I could say safely that Buhari's ratings will be in the negatives. Even his wife has uh, apologised for his uh, failing to measure up. Exactly. And it's really terrible for a person who came in with so much promise um, when he came in in 2015. And I think that's what's making a few people a bit apprehensive because there is still a lot of hope and promise. The majority of Nigerians, if you believe an Afrobarometer uh, polling, says at least 70% of us want democracy and think democracy is the best form of governance. But so far, our elections are not bearing fruit in terms of development for the country and safety of citizens. Now, Aisha, the... Uh... The inflation and unemployment are extraordinary. And there was a botched rollout of new banknotes. Explain that to me briefly. Exactly. So unemployment is high at 37%, inflation 18.9%. And then in the context of the coming elections in a few days, now Nigeria has over the last couple of years focused intently on the challenge of vote trading, which is where people politicians pay voters for their votes on election day. Now, apparently, this narrow redesign policy that's been cooked up by the head of the central bank, MFLA, and President Buhari is designed, without saying so explicitly, to basically uh, incapacitate 
politicians who apparently have stockpiled billions of Naira to be able to influence the vote. And so this Naira redesign was timed to take out 1,000 Naira notes, 500 Naira notes, and 200 Naira notes, change the design, but basically just change the color of these notes, and put a deadline of February 10th to say you can no longer use those old notes, which meant basically the politicians needed to send in all this cash, get it changed. And in doing that, apparently we have like 3 trillion Naira currency in circulation before this policy. And the only thing that the central bank have printed with the with the printing and minting company is about 200 billion. So far short of what the country needs. No wonder that Nigerians have been queuing at cash machines. Queuing in cash machines, smashing up cash, cash machines and banks in annoyance for not being able to get their own money. You can imagine how frustrated people feel. You asked us to return our money. In fact, somebody has rightly described this as a Naira confiscation program because you told people, put it, bring your money into the banks. And then now when people want their money, you restrict them to 3,000 Naira or 5,000 Naira. It's terrible. It's been a real disaster. Now, Buhari was elected on an anti-terrorist platform as much as anything following the uh, violence of Boko Haram attacks, but now we have a different form of uh, kidnapping and it's escalating. It, it is. Again, speaking to the promise of Buhari in 2015, it was one, as you say, and you know, to deal with the insecurity of Boko Haram and to also deal with corruption. Non, he's not achieved any of that. In terms of insecurity, we now have whole-scale decentralization of insecurity, where instead of just Boko Haram, we're now dealing with secessionists in the southeast of Nigeria, known as the indigenous people of Biafra, who literally make life really miserable for citizens and residents in that area, constantly, you know, violence, using violence to keep people at home, insisting on stay-on-home days, and then we have the kidnapping, which has become, again, a business. Schools being targeted constantly, travelers being targeted constantly. There are cases where people, kidnappers come into people's homes to kidnap them. And this is all for ransom. And then you have the farmer herders conflict all across the Northwest, where they terrorize villages. And it's been going on for years. More than a thousand Nigerian students kidnapped from their schools since December 2020. Yeah, absolutely. And then handed back up to big ransoms are paid. And apparently the Naira redesign is supposedly also to be able to, you know, neutralize the bandits and the kidnappers and render all their stash piles of cash useless. But the thing is, nobody's sure whether they still haven't found their ways to, you know, depositing their monies and having their money safe. Nobody's really sure what's going on. And the inability to deal with kidnapping, you know, in a way you, you you think Nigeria already has so many different processes, like we're, we're all required to have national identification numbers. We're all required to have banking verification numbers. Surely all these things should help you be able to target a handful of people and then go directly after them instead of wholesale bringing this type of policy on the eve of the elections. Now, the the sort of freelance kidnapping industry, they're described by bandits as bandits. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wonder how they're dealing with the currency problems. How do you pay your ransom? 
Well, and that's apparently one of the reasons why the government wanted this policy. They claimed that it would make it harder because it wasn't just about redesigning the Naira. There was also a sense that they were trying were trying to push in a more consistent way because we have been moving in this direction for a couple of years, a cashless policy so that more people are not relying on on um, cash and are relying on electronic transfers. But the truth is nobody knows exactly what's going on in terms of kidnapping. I, I will say, though, that the coverage of news of kidnapping has dropped. Is it because of the Naira redesign or is it because right now we're basically at the, the last stretch to the elections and that seems to be dominating all the headlines? But yeah, it's anyone's guess what they're doing. There have been a few things on social media suggesting that even the kidnappers already have new notes, bandits already have new notes, and people are asking, how did they get the notes? As well they might. Now, meanwhile, the uh, the Islamist militant group, Boko Haram, have they been curtailed under Buhari? Well, I'll use, the, I'll use the official line of the government, which is that they've been severely degraded. But the truth is they're still operating. But yes, largely not as much as they used to. There's still parts of Borno in the northeast, which is where the, the, the state where the Chippewa girls were taken. There's still parts of Yobe where they're still operating, where literally it seems governance isn't happening in those places. Now the real threat is the, as you put it, bandits in Zamfara, which is more Zamfara Katsina, which are more in the northwest of the country. Okay, back to the elections. 18 candidates, only three have a, a realistic chance. Tell us about them. Yes, so we have yes, three exciting candidates. One of them is Tinubu from the ruling party, the All Progressive Congress. He used to be governor of Nigeria's largest state in terms of economy and influence, Lagos State, between 1999 and 2007. He's about 70 years old and... While he's had a really good track record of, you know, recognizing talents, building political alliances across the country, he's come across over the last year as, you know, not in really good health. And Nigeria has had two sick presidents. We're not looking for a third. And he's not known to be a Democrat. Now, the second candidate is Atiku Abubakar, also was in power as vice president between 1999 and 2000. So he hasn't been in power for a while. But yes, he's been on the scene for a long time. The first time he ran to be president was in 1993 when MQ Abiola won the elections but never got sworn into power. And then the third candidate we have is Peter Obi, who is the youngest at 61. And he used to be governor of a state in the southeast. That's where the civil war was fought. Um, he, that's Anambra state. He was governor for a while. And he's the one who's leading. And he's the one Nigeria's youth are most interested in. Absolutely. He's the one Nigerians youth are most interested in. He used to be on Atiku. Atiku is one of the candidates I just mentioned. He used to be Atiku's vice presidential candidate for the 2019 elections, which they lost. He wanted to run under PDP, that's the People's Democratic Party, but the, he knew he wasn't going to get the ticket, which went to Atiku. And so he went, he decamped to the Labour Party and he's flying under that. I will say, though, that Honestly, the young people of Nigeria who support him literally just adopted him. And the question now is why him and not why the others? But this, they've carried him on their backs and they're the ones who are making him lead this election right now. Aisha, as I said in the early part of the program, you ran for office in Nigeria for a seat in the uh, National Assembly. And that leads me to ask you about patronage and political godfathering in Nigerian politics. 
It's a huge factor. In fact, the way the entire political process, starting from the political parties, is designed is quite undemocratic and extremely flawed as a talent pipeline for, you know, elective and appointed, elective political leadership in Nigeria. And the truth is, when you see the quality of the people who emerge from the political parties due to the godfatherism, which the candidate I mentioned who's most guilty of that is Tinubu. He he literally single-handedly imposes who's going to be candidates for the APC or whatever party he's in charge of in Lagos State. And he's done that since 1999 or post-1999 when he became governor. So by the day of election, like the, on the 25th of February, fingers crossed, the battle, I think, 90% of the battle to get decent, accountable leadership has already been lost because of the quality of the candidates. And so if if we do have 70% Nigerians who believe in democracy, then more of us are going to have to be part, active party members who go in there as officials, as possible candidates, as delegates. That's the only way to improve, or at least one of the major ways to improve the quality of democracy in Nigeria. We're running out of time, but is Nigeria's electoral commission prepared for the election? If you listen to Professor Yakubu, who is the chair of the INEC, he definitely sounds very confident. <laughs> Unfortunately, we've had cases in Nigeria where on the morning of election, like in 2019, February 16th, we woke up ready to go to the polls and then we heard that the election had been postponed. So I, for one, honestly, I'm going to hold my breath and cross my fingers until I hear voting has actually started. Um, anything could happen. And not entirely because INEC has not been prepared or has not tried to be prepared, but because of the Naira redesign policy that squeezed the country of the cash that needed to mobilize hundreds and thousands of people around our over 100,000, 176,000 polling units. That's the problem. The wider world doesn't begin to understand how big Nigeria is. It's one of the most populous countries on earth, protect, what, projected to reach 400 million by, uh, by 2050. By 2050, absolutely. Wow, that's, yeah. that's something, isn't it? And, it uh, is. So economically, the country is focused primarily on oil revenues and missed a lot of opportunities to diversify its economy. Anyway, we hope it goes well at the weekend, and thank you very much for talking to me. I've been talking to Aisha Isori, Nigerian lawyer and journalist on the critical election facing Nigeria this weekend. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.